Lord, we are like Samuel, children in the night. And we say to you, speak, Lord, speak. For we, your servants, are listening. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated, won't you? We start today with a little name that tune. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but it would be fun to, if we had a prize to give for the person who could name it the fastest. And now the end is near. Any takers? Actually, do raise your hand. I want to know. Oh, you already know it. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. Now I see some heads nodding. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. What? I did it my way. So sings Frank Sinatra in that beautiful way that only he can, huh? There has to be some part of Frank's voice in the new heavens and new earth. I'm convinced of it. I never get tired of hearing him sing. Paul Anka, the, the, the composer of the lyrics for My Way, he wrote it for Frank, actually, and later in Paul's life, Paul comments on that song, and he says this, quote, I had never written something so chauvinistic so narcissistic, so in-your-face and grandiose. That's what Paul says about his song. You know, Frank Sinatra grew to despise singing that song at concerts near the end of his career. Have you read that? I think it's the show at Alberta Hall in the 80s where even over the mic, I believe, as the song intro started, you could hear a mumble. I never liked that song. <laughs> Isn't that ironic, though? Doesn't it seem a little strange that someone would grow tired of proclaiming to the world such a seemingly confident message? I mean, how do you grow tired of making the proclamation that you did it your way? I don't that, that seems strange to me. Uh, maybe Tina Sinatra, Frank's daughter, can help fill in the blanks for us because she wrote in her memoir that my dad, my dad was a man who all his life looked outside for what was missing inside. She said he was a man who all his life looked outside for what was missing inside. Today we're going to look at Paul's passage in Romans chapter 5, and here he explains that we will never find what's missing inside our human hearts by doing it our way. That's Romans 5 verses 1 through 8. Paul says, look, no matter what religious path you take, Jew or Gentile in his verbiage, no matter how much effort you exert, no matter what you know, no matter how much pleasure you find, no matter how virtuous a person you are, 
the gospel, the Christian gospel, God's way of life is actually the only way that you will fill up what's missing inside your human heart. Now, what, what do I mean by what's missing? Well, I'll take a, a stab at it, but I think you could probably we could do a survey in the room. What's missing? In all the years of life that you've lived, what's missing? Here are a couple of things that come to my mind. A love that doesn't fail. A love that doesn't end in betrayal. A love that's faithful. Human love is good, but it's not that good. How about this? Moral transformation. No, 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 not just good behavior, which we can carry on for a couple minutes or hours or days, right? But deep, deep change that we would long for what's good. That's missing. Peace that lasts. A way through suffering. Some, some, something that makes sense of pain. How about a hopeful future? That would be nice to have in hum, humankind, wouldn't it? So this is our theme today. Only the gospel gives us these things. And Paul says three things in Romans chapter 5 around this theme of the gospel filling up what's missing. Here they are. I'll give them to you all at once. First, Paul says, in God's way of life, not my way, but God's way, He does the work. God does the work. Here's the second thing. That work is Jesus Christ. So God does the work. Number two, God's way of life necessitates, requires that you encounter the love of Jesus Christ for you. Here's the third thing around that theme of God's way of life is what fills us. Our humanity is changed. Let me say it again. God's way of life is the only way to fill up what's missing in the human heart. Number one, God does the filling. Number one, he does it through Jesus, number two. And number three, when he fills us, our humanity is changed forever. So let's dig in. Number one, God does the work. God does the work. In God's way of life, it's God who does the heavy lifting, not human effort. God initiates our salvation, then he sustains our salvation all through our lives, then he completes our salvation. He does the whole shebang. So what's left for humanity? All we can do is respond to him in worship and in obedience. This has actually been Paul's message in the verses previous to our passage. You see the word therefore in the text, right at the beginning of the passage. When you see a therefore, you immediately want to jump backwards and see what's the context. Because Paul is attaching what he's saying in chapter 5 to what he's been saying in chapters 1 through 4. The therefore in verse 1 invites us to see in chapters 1 through 4 of Romans that Paul teaches that sin and evil have so damaged us that even our best attempts, whether Jew or Gentile, even our best attempts to reconnect with God aren't enough. And in the midst of this context, he gets to that famous verse. We've all heard it. Perhaps you've heard it. Uh, 323. For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. But let me read for you the verse that follows. 324. All who have fallen short are now justified by God's grace as a gift. That's 324. And this is the theme that Paul picks up with his therefore in chapter 1, verse 5. In chapter 5, verse 1. 
This is the theme. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. How good are you at receiving? How good are you at receiving? Receiving can be harder than giving, can't it? I, I'm, I, I kind of am afraid of someone who always wants to give me something. To receive from someone is humbling, though. It's to make yourself vulnerable to receive a gift. To receive is to acknowledge, in a way, a need or a deficit or a desire. It's humbling. Um, and I can't help but laugh. Today is Father's Day, and dads are the worst at receiving gifts, are they not? Dad, what do you need this Father's Day? Nothing. It's like the world has sort of just given up, don't you think, on Father's Day? We just throw it socks, boxers, ties, watches, just throw it at them. But what does a father really need anyways? Can't dad just go out and get what they want? At least that's kind of how it seems. Listen, the first truth of doing life God's way, not my way, is this. The pressure is off of the kids. You don't have to get God any gifts. In fact, our God, our Heavenly Father, His version of Father's Day is to give us a gift. Will we respond to it? Here's the second truth about God's way of life in Romans 5. It requires an encounter with the love of Jesus Christ for you. Okay, follow me. If number one is God does all the work in our salvation and we respond, then number two is Jesus is that work. If you want to know what is it that, G that God has done for our salvation, we look at Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection. You could say it this way. The salvation of the world is the theme of God's artwork. And Jesus Christ is his masterpiece. Salvation is God's theme, his beautiful art that he's created in the cosmos. And Jesus Christ is the masterpiece work of that art. God's sending of Jesus into our world is his most decisive action in human history. Where do we see this in the text? A few places. This is, why Jesus, this is why Jesus' name keeps popping up in Romans 1 through 8. Verse 1, Paul says, God's way happens through Jesus Christ. Verse 2, it's through whom, through Jesus, we have access to God. Now skip down to the end of the passage around verse 6 and following. God actually proves his love for us in what Jesus did for us. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. In essence, if you take Jesus out of the equation, God's way of life really just falls apart. Doing life God's way requires an encounter with the love of Jesus for you. Okay, so how do I encounter Jesus, Josh? Here are a few guaranteed ways, a few guaranteed ways to get in touch with Jesus' love for you. Number one, in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the words and the deeds of Christ. When the Scriptures, that's why the gospel book, which represents Jesus himself, is, is taken out into the people, we turn to it. It's like Jesus is standing in front of us, and he's about to talk to us. And so we say, Jesus, be in my mind. Jesus, be in my, on my mouth, in my words. And Jesus, be in my heart. 
We even bow, not because we worship a book, but because we worship Jesus who is speaking to us. So we encounter God's love for us in Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. Here's the second way. We encounter Jesus' love for us in Jesus' people, around the people sitting around you. Paul says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's almost like a weird version of Jesus and Josh mixed together when I'm submitting my life to him. It's it's Jesus speaking to Josh through the personality and gifts and features of deacons Nancy, Rose, and Michael when you are served. So we experience Jesus' love through his people. And then, of course, in some crazy, mysterious, mystical, physical way, we experience the love of Jesus for us in the waters of baptism, in the sacraments, in the rite of confession, in the anointing of the sick with the bishop's oil, and then, of course, at the table, in the bread and the wine of communion. We taste it. We see it. People of God doing life my way will never fill up what's missing inside of our hearts. Only the gospel, only the love of Jesus Christ for you can do that. That's the second truth about God's way of life from Romans 5. Here's the last truth. God's way of life changes us, and it changes us in two ways. It changes our humanity, and it changes our hope. It gets inside of our humanity and it changes our future, our humanity and our hope. In chapter 3, Paul says that we all fall short of God's glory. We just quoted that verse. But now Paul says in in chapter 5, he says our fate has changed. Our human fate is forever changed. Quote, we are justified. That is to say we are made righteous and we have peace with God. Verse 1. To be justified or made righteous means not just that God transfers to our bank accounts the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't just give us the righteousness of Christ like it's a commodity, some kind of objective thing, although that's in the text. But he also makes us righteous. That's a little bit something different. He makes us what he is. That's how different our humanity becomes over the course of our life in God's gift of salvation. He makes us righteous. But keep going, there's more. It's not just righteousness that gets inside of our humanity, it's his peace. And don't think of this kind of peace as, um, um, don't think of the eagle song, peaceful, easy feeling, right? It's not a feeling, although there may be feelings that come with God's peace, And neither is God's peace the absence of suffering or the absence of conflict or the absence of strife. That's not Christian peace. Christian peace is the reconciliation of relationships at a cosmic level. What do I mean by that? I mean all relationships in the cosmos are brought into flourishing and unity and harmony together. So here are three kinds of relationships. My relationship with myself Sin, when sin entered the world, tore humanity apart from the insides. It separated me from myself. It turned me in on myself. So God restores that. He reconciles me to myself with his peace. Then he does something else. He reconciles me to you and you to me. 
He reconciles humanity within itself. He reconciles humanity with each other. And then most importantly, he reconciles humanity to himself. All three things happen. That's what peace is. The word for this in the Old Testament is shalom, utter flourishing of all relationships in the cosmos. So by the way, in a few minutes, when we do that annoying part of the liturgy where you've got to get up, shake somebody's hand, pretend that you're having a great Sunday and all the rest of it, I get that sometimes not everybody's in that place, but let me just, just give you a little encouragement. Something profound is happening that the world does not understand. We taste cosmic peace. That's how our humanity changes. Here's the very last thing. Our humanity is changed, but also our hope is changed. Our hope is changed. Near the end of Frank's song, he sings about suffering. And he sings this. Yes, there were times, I'm sure that you knew when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all when there was doubt, what? I ate it up and spit it out, he sings. I faced it all. I stood tall. I did it my way. Sinatra sings about suffering with some very inspiring, defiant words. I mean, really, it's kind of courageous, I guess. But in verses 3 through 5, St. Paul gives us a Christian perspective on suffering. It's a little bit different. Paul tackles the subject of suffering in 3 through 5, and he says this, we boast in our sufferings. Paul says God's way of life actually turns suffering on its head. Instead of pain and death getting the last word, and therefore we have to run from pain and death, instead of that, these things only bring us closer to God, our destiny. Suffering leads us closer to our final hope. This is what Paul calls in verse 2, sharing the hope of the glory of God. So when I think of Frank's way versus Paul's way, with all apologies to Frank and his beautiful voice, there is no comparison, it seems to me. Frank's statements of defiance toward suffering are inspiring, but they're just words, aren't they? In the face of the darkest of human pain. Instead, God's way of life doing it God's way, changes us from the inside out, and therefore even suffering, even our pain, has meaning as it moves us closer to Jesus. So, I wonder today, are you tired yet? Are you as tired as, as Frank got of singing that song by the end of his career? Are you tired of doing it your way? Are you try, tired of trying to save yourself? trying to win God's affection, trying to get, get back into uh, good favor with God? Are you tired of um, um, trying to make sense of your pain without the hope of God? Are you tired of human relationships that can never really deliver the supernatural love that you know you long for? Well, if you are tired, good. You have come to the right place. Because on this Father's Day, we remember the God and Father of all who lavishes on needy people everything we need for salvation. He says, I'll do the work. 
I've already done it in Jesus Christ. He says, I'll love you like you've never been loved. God, our Father, says, I'll buoy you in the midst of suffering with the hope of sharing my glory. And he says, I'll change you into the person that I created you to be. Heavenly Father, we believe, we believe. Would you this day help our unbelief? To this end, amen.